Voices of Simsis is the podcast of the Symbolic Systems Program at Stanford University. Each episode, you'll hear from a student, faculty, or alumnus related to symbolic systems, which is the interdisciplinary study of the relationship between minds, machines, and the world. Today's guest is Brendan O'Connor, a symbolic systems alumnus and current assistant professor at the College of Information and Computer Sciences at University of Massachusetts Amherst. He'll be interviewed by Griffin Young about his favorite Stanford classes, his process for discovering his passions, and his perspectives on building ethical AI. I'm Jenny Z, an advising fellow of the Symbolic Systems Program, and this is Voices of Simsis. But yeah, so I mean, I was interested in, um, I guess it's interesting in cognitive and social science kind of going into Stanford. And um, I wasn't super sure what to do, but I thought things like history and political science were pretty interesting. Um, but I was also really into computer science and starting to think about psychology. And I actually read uh, Gertel Escher Bach, I think the summer before I started, uh, started college. And that book is uh, it's very like SimSys sort of stuff. So I know I got pretty excited about like, oh yeah, maybe like logic, computers, and thinking are all related somehow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I kind of started that book. Um, it's still on the reading list. I'm, I'm oh, about it's like way too long. I, yeah, I, it's gigantic. Yeah, it's like I actually taught a for a while when I was in college. There was a student initiated courses program where like students could propose and have a course. There's like a faculty advisor. And so I just had a reading course for the book. Um, but it's like, I don't know, it's pretty, it just keeps going, so. Yeah. It has some funny quirks in it, but yeah, there's some nice parts. Are but you yeah, still excited about all that? So, um, I don't even know. Exploring... Sorry? Are you still exploring those kinds of ideas now? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So my main research program is in a computational social science. So finding better ways or improved ways of using computational methods to understand phenomena or activity or behavior in society. And so uh, my particular focus is in the use of natural language processing. So being able to do automated text analysis through all sorts of methods, maybe semantic understanding, maybe it's topical understanding. Um, using those sorts of methods to automatically do content analysis in circumstances where we might be able to learn about maybe events in the world and get maybe statistical records of that, or maybe learn about what sorts of sentiment or topics that people are talking about in the news or in social media or in even in historical texts, all sorts of venues. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and so I'm excited about, you know, putting these things together in different ways. And so there's this intersection of artificial intelligence and social science, just interesting in lots of different areas. And so I've started looking more recently at these topics of how does AI fit into society? And um, this is becoming more and more common as we're seeing artificial intelligence systems actually deployed and used for with real world impact. Um, and that's something that definitely was not the case when I was an undergraduate. AI yeah. was definitely a more obscure field. And so I think it's really exciting. So think about like fairness of language technologies. Um, how does your speech vary across race or gender? 
And how do language technologies that we use every day, how do they respond to that also? And are yeah. things useful or fair for users, for example? I've heard part of the worry is in uh, the way we train these models, kind of perpetuating biases that are inherent in humans. Yeah, yeah, it's one big concern, absolutely. And it's a, uh, I mean, biases in humans are part of intelligence, right? Like, we have, I'm a grammatical gender in language. Like there's, it's debatable exactly what its relationship is to kind of the semantic notion of gender, but it had an entry point. <laughs> gender did somehow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about like algorithms being racist. It's like, well, humans are racist. And how else are we going to train our algorithms into something that looks like what humans do? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so this was part of the thing I was, wondering about when I was undergraduate. So SimSys has this really nice, maybe classic core or earlier core of SimSys that's kind of centered around these intersections between logic, philosophy, and computation, especially computation theory, and maybe philosophy of mind. And it's a really cool area, but it's also very like formal. It's kind of removed from, you know, how is thinking involved in the real world in various ways. And of course, you know, Simpsons is very broad and you can put all sorts of things into it. And so I was thinking a lot about, I personally was really thinking about, you know, I don't know, social cognition or kind of social aspects to intelligence, things like that. And obviously there's tons and tons of different research areas related to that. So that's how I was putting them together at least. And so I think things like what sorts of biases are there in humans are a pretty clear case of Think about artificial intelligence, we have to start thinking more about what aspects of human cognition are we trying to emulate or are going into it, and what are we going to do with it, and what do we want? Like, maybe we want to engineer systems that are less racist than people, for example. That I think that would be a useful type of technology. But then the question is really behind like, how do you design the training data for that? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you learn a word embedding algorithm on unlabeled text data, so it just learns the distributional statistics of word co-occurrences, it seems like that results in sexist or racist things, or you know, aspects of intelligence that have correlations to race and gender things in various ways, in ways that seems like they would lead to discriminatory results for certain applications. And so if that's the case, there's this huge question of like, well, like our language encodes racism or racial or gender biases? How do we even remove that? that's like so inherent how we think and how we the way we think gets you know surfaced into language statistics in some way right. so that's that's a really interesting challenge and i think people haven't really figured out yet um there, there's a lot of things there so like james Zove, i think is at stanford now is um some pretty cool work in syria for example so I was in a lecture for CS124, which is like the introductory natural language processing um, this week. And he was talking about how uh, using uh, that kind of like analysis of, of biases has shown that um, like gender bias has actually decreased uh, over the last couple of decades. So do you think is there, there's just some kind of potential for um, using artificial intelligence to like reveal biases and help people um, yeah. become less racist? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So these problems of kind of some sort of monitoring or measuring of bias 
Um, you absolutely could think of different ways of doing that. I mean, you know, real basic examples of things like hurtful. Are you using hurtful terms or not? You can imagine something that looks more like almost at a grammar checker sort of level, right? Like offensive language. Are you using offensive language or not? And something automated could spot things more easily for someone who doesn't know or something like that. And as we think about making more sophisticated analysis tools, you could think about trying to analyze you know, the corpus of what you're writing for any more implicit sorts of biases. Like, you know, you're describing a hypothetical person, there's certain attributes of the person, which gender do you choose when you introduce the pronoun to describe them, right? Right. And maybe that's something you want to look out for. And any sort of monitoring system, if, it, if it's something that people have a harder time noticing about themselves for whatever reason, if it's a case for something that more automatic could be a help, um, this is always a great setting for computational methods. Like, like, like spell checkers and grammar checkers, like Grammarly or something. It's like, well, if everyone had a really awesome editor working for them who could correct all their writing, then like, yeah, you wouldn't need a computational system and they would be better. But having the computational system there can be a huge help, of course. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think, potential for different sorts of things. Uh, one general issue right now is a lot of the best methods we have to analyze biases or kind of fine-grained aspects of word meaning in a corpus, those methods tend to only work on very large corpora. And like even like millions of words sometimes isn't enough. You need a little more, tens, hundreds of millions, billions, of course, everything works better. And I think for lots of examples in, for personal use, you want something that can work on only like a thousand words. Something that looks more like an essay or an email or something. And that is harder to do more fine-grained things. Things like catching offensive terms, like, okay, that works fine. But something like, are you subtly using gender biases? That it could, I could imagine it could work. That could be pretty cool research to develop that. Mm -hmm. I would say it, it won't work perfectly right now. And then there's all these questions appear that, you know, is that useful or not? Like Grammarly makes mistakes on this grammar checker sometimes, for example. Is that still useful? It seems to be useful, but... Then you get a lot of kind of like user interface, user experience sort of um, questions. But yeah. If we can pivot for a little bit and talk about um, how, how you ended up in your career right now and how you made the decision to stop working at a, a startup and um, drift away, away from industry and more towards academia. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so when I was an undergrad, I guess, especially near the end of undergrad, I started thinking more about what I want to do next. I really wanted to do more academic research, but also because I was a Simpsons major, or for the same reasons I became a Simpsons major, I wasn't sure what to specialize in. And I remember literally like, so I did undergrad, and I did one year of a co-term also in Simpsons. I think even my last year, second last year, I was thinking like, okay, do I want to apply to economics programs or computer science programs? Those seem like really good ways to study computational social science. Then I thought, this is really bad. <laughs> I don't know which type. Because <laughs> like these programs are totally different. You get a very different like educational and training experience in those sorts of PhD programs. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I really should work. <laughs> like do something real for a while. <laughs> See how that works out. So yeah. Yeah, I did that. It was super fun. 
and it really it also did change my research interest. I got interested in a bunch of basically more applied sorts of things. And I was able to kind of a little help with some research sorts of things when I was working also or got involved with things that kind of and I learned, you know, I got more into natural language processing, for example. I was less into that when I was um, around my undergrad or co-term. So, yeah, so that was super good. And then, I don't know, it was, it was, um, the tech world's very, very interesting. I like working there a lot, but I kind of want to go back to academia, so. Yeah, so that, that worked out, I guess. And I applied to places and things like that. Mm -hmm. Did you do any kind of research during your undergrad years that you know suggested to you that that might be something you would be interested in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I worked with Todd, actually. Todd Davies. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he had this project. He only hired undergrads for the project. It was really great for us. I kind of felt bad for Todd. I was looking back at it now, like... I don't know, you get a team of like three junior sophomores to seniors and like everyone's busy, can get things in or not get things done. I and mean, we, we did some nice stuff, I think. But yeah, it was a project on like uh, online discussion systems, basically. So mm. yeah, so that was super fun. That did get me interested in things and thinking like, oh, how do we, you know, do research in general, for example. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, then I worked at a company that was doing things more me more applied research, but it's kind of close to a lot of research questions could kind of come up. And I could see like, okay, there's a lot of interesting things to work on there. So yeah, I mean, research experience definitely helps a lot. I always tell students now like that is super important thing to get involved in, get involved in if you can. And so that can be a huge help and really like help clarify how this works and what your interest might be and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of natural language processing, would you say the the direction of research right now is is more um, developing new methods for doing it, or more applying the methods that we currently have to you know unique issues? Uh, both happen. Both are super interesting, and so I like to do research that tries to straddle both of these things, but they both you know have value, right? Um, are you talking about research in, or activities in the general world? Or are you talking about more specifically in a certain area or something else? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, as, as someone who's just being introduced to the, the subject, um, it seems like a lot of the, the methods that we're being taught are um, kind of like standard in the field or accepted. Um, oh, sure. I'm just wondering if, if like... The, the methods right we have right now are adequate or if there's room for the for improvement yeah well i mean use google translate for chinese to english and like i don't know there's a lot of problems <laughs> like it kind of works it's great when it works it's great having it but not but like clearly it could be so much better in so many ways i think mm-hmm and maybe it's like more obvious that we have NLP methods that can actually do something useful now. And maybe that was less obvious 10 years ago, but it's, there's so, it's a long ways to go. I mean, like if you're talking to like an Amazon Echo or something and like it just, just has a very shallow understanding of what you're saying, it's a good enough understanding to be quite useful, but there's just so many things you could like reply, think of how the dialogue structure could work. You could ask about some total other thing. You could, 
use meta language or there's just so many things you could say and it just has no idea what's going on so i think we're just so far away from really deep natural language understanding on lots of these mm -hmm. things yeah that's um, that's yeah. the thing that struck me about what we've learned so far um artificial intelligence i think culturally is enshrined as this like pursuit of genuine intelligence but when you when you actually start learning about it it just seems like a lot of probability oh yeah <laughs> well there's a lot of technical it's a non-trivial technical area right so that that definitely happens yeah and also remember i mean so if you're taking a introductory course this is the one dan teaches yeah okay yeah so that course i mean it's designed for you know people without a lot of deep technical experience like a little bit but you know you obviously can go way deeper mm -hmm. and so of course like that is also going to emphasize the more of the tried and true methods methods right. that are older but therefore they're also more well understood their strengths and limitations are more well known but you know research the research frontier is often looking at methods that are less well known it's not clear how much better or worse they could be i mean there's potential room for improvement and so for example you know uses of deep learning in nlp is kind of a major area of focus and there's a lot of unknown questions about how potentially powerful these methods might be Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, but at the same time, even for something simple, there's plenty of technical details, like <laughs> a lot of probability theory, for example. So, right. right. So, do you remember any um, particularly influential classes you took here? Oh, tons. Yeah, I felt like I had a ton of great classes. So, learned quite a bit yeah i actually took um it was called cs224n at the time chris manning taught it it was basically just general natural language processing at the uh i guess in the upper undergrad graduate level yeah i, I think th that still exists yeah so because i think they merged it with a deep learning for nlp course it's just one course now or at least that was what they did a year or two ago i forget what the current status is but um yeah, I mean, that was super good. So that just introduced me a lot of things. I took it very, I took it when I was a sophomore. So it was really hard for me. Like I didn't have the right math background that I should have to take the course, but I was very enthusiastic about it. So I learned quite a bit. Yeah. I did as well as other students. <laughs> it's great for me. Um, yeah, and then there's less of, there was this introductory course at the time and Ling 124 or 124, whatever it is, came. It's a much better version of the, the introductory, more introductory course that was there at the time when I was there. It was a very, very small course. So yeah, I mean, that was good. Um, I've like tons of courses. I took a lot of poli-sci courses I loved. They inform how I think about politics and history.